0: Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 43 of the Modern Agile Show. I am thrilled to have my friend, Marit Puajardvi from Finland here today. Uh, She's a lead engineer with F-Secure. She's an Agile practitioner. She's a prolific blogger. She's written three books, one called The Strong Style Pair Pair Programming, Another one, the Mob Programming Guidebook, and her latest Exploratory Testing, which is on LeanPub. Welcome, Marit. Thanks, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, glad uh, you could take some time, and I'm um, really excited for you to share so much of the awesome, awesome things you've been doing, um, especially at your, uh, your gig right now at F-Secure. So let's get into it. All right, where do you want to start? Well, tell us a little bit about the culture there. Uh, what What is it like um, at Secure? How have you, you know, found it to be and, and maybe shaped it yourself? I'm now second
1: time F-Secure, uh employee. I was there about 12 years ago, something of that sort. Mm-hmm. And we were just starting agile back in those days when i I was there last time and now that I came back, I kind of uh, had the ideas that some things have maybe evolved and changed, and definitely they had uh, what maybe defines the culture nowadays is we don 't really talk about agile much we Almost treat it as it's a word we want to avoid. No one speaks that we avoid it either, <laughs> but it's probably related to the fact that a lot of the agile coaches uh, left the company in one of the, the collaboration negotiations some years ago. So we really don't have any coaches, mm-hmm. but we have people whose personalities are kind of coach like who are bringing this uh, teal type
0: of, of uh, environment into the organization. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Teal, um, what what do you mean by that? Well, it's the kind of
1: the self-organized way of looking at things where there's a lot of power in the individuals who are doing the work mm-hmm. rather than, than an assumed command line on how, how things are going. So there's a lot of focus on collaboration and, and, and making sure that each of the developers basically who will be doing the hands-on work will have as much of good information as they can because that's where the, the rubber kind of meets the road uh, some millions of users will see their results and if they don't know something even if the product owners knew that then it doesn't really uh, change the the user's experience so we are kind of like looking at this as a very test uh developer centric environment
0: mm-hmm. and F secure makes uh virus, antivirus software and other security things in the software field right? yeah that's That's what we
1: do. So I'm working personally on the Windows endpoint protection side. Mm -hmm. So antivirus, anti-malware, like we usually call it, uh, software updating, uh, kind of patches, all that sort of stuff. So trying to keep a Windows machine safe.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. That's important. Very important to do. Um, So the culture there, um, tell us a little bit about that. It's experimentation. What's, what's the story in terms of like, how open are people to experimenting there? So
1: generally people are very nice in, in wanting to try new things, but there's a lot of team specific differences. So we have a lot of liberty of organizing things as we want in a particular team. And, and my team has been uh, about 12 uh, people, all, all of this time. And for experimentation, we've been maybe a bit of the forerunners, on, on that side mm-hmm. so i told uh, i've talked about this idea that we've been trying for example a no product owner experiment yeah. which is one of my favorite stories always to tell
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah well uh, please tell that how, how, how did that come to be
1: so about three years ago i realized that when we were all sitting in that one room together uh, we had a product owner there in the room and a lot of times it happened that the developers somehow went and, and discussed with the product owner all of the things they achieved and kind of like if they needed to brag on, on something going forward, they went to the product owner and, and as a tester in the team, I was feeling kind of sidelined and, and the product owner was way too busy always to tell anything to me on like kind of what kind of summary they had. So, I was kind of struggling to get some of that information. So, at first, uh, I had this of an idea from a lot of the experiments that other people have done that what if we just physically move the product owner out and i went to the product owners manager and i asked like could we try this just you know for a few months like let's see if the dynamic changes that way Uh, but i also had this idea i had read your article i i really love the article that you've written about the idea of, of no product owner so i had read that so as soon as we started seeing a lot better collaboration because we had to talk to one another but we still were working with the product owner who was one floor away. So we didn't send him far away. Uh, then I started kind of like introducing to the team and the product owner, this idea that maybe we could experiment with, you know, this thing, The, the no product owner. And, and we had a workshop where we basically, uh, we took some books on agile and listed kind of all the things a product owner should be doing. And like, we had a long, long list of, of things that a product owner should be doing. And, and we agreed that, okay, so all of this the team will do.
2: Mm-hmm. If there's
1: no product owner, this is now our responsibility. And it became, it made it kind of concrete in, in that sense. Yeah. And from that list on, uh, what we basically did is for three months, uh, we started doing that. And it was almost as if you let the developers of handcuffs Uh, they were producing on that three-month time frame we were measuring almost four times as as much as as ever before. Mm -hmm. They solved some problems that we hadn't managed to solve in years. And uh, as a product company, you would imagine we would want to have telemetry and kind of like data-driven stuff available in in our teams. But that was the day one thing that we implemented uh, when we no longer had to wait for someone else to prioritize it. We were like, no, we can't do things without data. Let's put data in place. Mm -hmm. so after the three months we had kind of like a retrospective on how did this whole experiment go Mm -hmm. and we concluded that nothing changed that was the first kind of high level and then when we discussed more the idea of what the product owner the previous product owner we called them well, we first called them PMS, product management specialist, but they didn't like that term. <laughs> I wonder why. So PME, product management expert, was what we were then using. They went kind of fishing with the customers, kind of meeting them, having meetings, and they would bring back fish for us if they had any. And for the three months, they had nothing to bring home for us. So no meals cooked if we would rely on them. And, and it seems like uh, as a group, we were much eff- more effective on kind of collecting the, the uh the high level items so or like important items that we we needed to work on so we turned it into a way of working and we've been doing that for over two years
0: now wow amazing and how do you get you know any kind of direction from the business about what's important or you know how does that work
1: so i've been like again i've been trying to explain the way we work a lot recently and i recently learned about this idea of flight levels that actually helps explain some of this stuff so first of all kind of like i could explain all the you know nitty-gritty of how kanban and 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 meetings and all of that work for us but that's kind of what every other team is doing as well Mm -hmm. Uh, the other flight levels are how team uh, across team collaboration works so for us it's really being organized as a network of connections. So even the 15 year old uh, in our team had specific names they were supposed to talk regularly to and bring back fish home. So everyone had this kind of like, we had a really wide network. We talked to hundreds of people around the company because 12 people, everyone having their own connections and bringing back the news to the team. It's like intelligence service at its best. Mm. And then the third flight level is the, the management. So that is still something that we're mostly uh, like trying to develop. So we have really good guidance on kind of how are we trying to guide our business and we listen to them very carefully, yeah. but it still feels a little bit too much of a one-way street. So mm-hmm. we do talk back and, and forth on that, right. but, but it's more like listening carefully and trying to translate that into something actionable on our side yeah. rather than a, a really the, the best possible collaboration. But it's, it's, right. it's been evolving a lot.
0: I see. So, in fact, I think you mentioned um, that your developers sometimes come up with features and uh, th- that were not asked for, but they see the need for it and are able to then put that into the product.
1: Yeah, so we've had, again, security is something where developers typically care a lot about that yes. and they can even be domain experts on how do you keep your Windows machine secure. Hmm. And when they see these kind of opportunities, when they now need to kind of reflect in the the scale of what are all the important things and they get to make those choices themselves they've created features we didn't even think that we could have in the product wow because we thought there was no space for those Hmm. and it's kind of magical how sometimes things happen so that we we've had like a an afternoon like friday afternoon uh seating in the the office space while we were still allowed to be in the office so we were sitting in the sofas and, and someone would come and talk about some problem. And on Monday at 11, uh, it's already ready to go to production. It's like, how did you do this? Right. So the superpower of, of like having an actual feature team yeah. where for us, it means that we have to work across three different technical stacks. Yep. It's been almost magical.
0: Wow. wow. That's awesome. So it seems like these, um, experiments have been working very successfully.
1: Uh, some of them work better than others. So again, sometimes you try things and, and you tweak it a little bit mm-hmm. and and it doesn't work out quite so well. Yes. It seems like all the big ones, like the no product owner and and no JIRA and, and no estimates, all the big no's, those have been working really nicely. Mm-hmm. And also what's been working really nicely is the whole idea of of shortening the release cycles. Uh, when we are deli- delivering for a couple of millions of end point computers. Mm-hmm. It means quite a number of installations and downloads. And it doesn't feel easy to do that that continuously. So we have moved from uh, the usual every six months uh, schedule to every two weeks schedule. Mm. And, and I think that's kind of where we can be and where we can get uh, with yeah. these types of products. Yeah. And then smaller fixes we can do within the, the day. So I'm usually very happy to see us fixing something within a four hour uh, period.
0: Mm -hmm. and so do you work in a continuous flow kind of fashion I mean are there do you have sprints or do you have uh, more of a continuous flow so um,
1: since the product overall product that the customer experiences is multiple different products coming from from uh, different teams we still have this two-week synchronization cycle Mm That kind of reminds uh, a sprint, but the only thing that is sprint-like in that is that we do a demo of whatever we have by the end of that two-week period.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And otherwise, it's more of a continuous flow. So whenever things are ready, uh, we don't want to keep them on the shelf uh, waiting. And uh, that's also kind of how we got to the the end-to-end implementation of, of features uh, having a open source community internally mm-hmm. and and making sure that we can just commit our own uh, or, or make our own pull requests and, and make changes in other uh, teams uh, working areas if we needed support for something because well, if you don't do that, we ended up having at some point we had a queue of of twenty two items within a few months, waiting for some other team to make them visible on their part. And then we just decided that maybe it was smarter to not create that queue and spend some more time on on just doing the work that they put into
0: the queue. So it sounds like, um, you know, collective code ownership to me, like the whole, you, you all have an arrangement where it's okay to change code regardless of the team provided you, you follow certain rules or conventions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And the rules are a little different for different teams. So sometimes we have this, like, a, we think of it as a code guardian, someone who watches over what gets into that, uh, that space.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's really strict on some areas where it almost feels difficult or next to impossible to do those changes.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and it's a lot more uh, kind of, like, driven towards enabling change in others. So overall, we're still working on that culture of, of how do we share that code so yes. that it serves our business best.
0: Wonderful. So it's not strictly um, strong style pairing or mob programming that you're doing. It's, it's more of this open source uh, style. Can you say more about that? So I'm a big
1: fan generally of, of the whole pairing and, and mobbing and I find myself spending a lot of my evenings uh, working on those styles with people all around the world.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: when I go to office, people do not want to pair. I take a picture every time they pair and that hasn't been many times. <laughs> and, and, and for mobbing, what we do is, is mob testing because that's kind of my specialty. Uh, so when some major features are getting ready, I definitely get people together and, and, and have like a shared experience of what annoys us on that. Yeah. So that it kind of amplifies people's voices a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, in that sense. So the way of working is a lot more on, on having a one-on-one discussion with people who are local to that code base, mm-hmm. saying what you're intending to do, uh, yeah. then just doing it and, and, and working through the feedback that you get for pull requests. but the requests are so small that there's a lot of them flying around it's actually really difficult to follow all the changes going on Mm -hmm. I I did I always do this like a a reflection of the last year in the end of the year so when the year changes I look at how much of things we're doing and we had 44 people uh, contributing just on the middle part which is our team's responsibility I see So, there's a lot of people, multiple teams contributing to that same code base. So, there needs to be this general idea of wanting to
0: allow change. I see. That sounds really good. Is there, uh, so I, when, so that means that people are working solo on code but going through a review process. Yes. And um, so that, does that handle some of the knowledge transfer issues that we often find in companies where, you know, you don't, you never ever want to have one person be the only person that knows a certain area of the code and no one else knows it. That's risky. So how does, how does that get managed?
1: So some of it gets managed by the fact that people are reading those pull requests and following whatever is going on. and, And there's a lot of kind of like There's a routine on how people look at things, even if they weren't the the official reviewers or volunteering as the the reviewers. But more of it, I find, is is addressed through the idea that on the team level, we talk about this a lot, that we do not want that to happen. That There's Mm -hmm. only one person who knows uh, a component, even if the code exists and we could read it. Like we don't want to be in a place where there's only one person who knows how and why it, it's been created. Yeah. So we generally talk about this idea of, of having already kind of like a, like a body that you work with, the second pair of eyes,
2: mm-hmm. who
1: is, is kind of preparing to be someone else on that. And across business lines, because we share a platform across multiple business lines to, to right. create these antivirus products, we have a person uh, for every component on every business line that is using mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, that's been also kind of like a cross-team uh, effort to make sure that we make space for that learning, yeah. and it usually means just taking a feature and taking whatever time you need to contribute to it, the, the existing code base, mm-hmm. and that's how you learn. You don't re- remember by reading, you remember by doing.
0: Right. Okay. So, that's, that's being effectively managed. Um, and then do you produce a lot of automated tests, or perform TDD or things like that or is that more uh whatever kind of automated testing happens it happens how it happens like so for
1: us um we run about 300,000 tests for just for my team every single day wow so a lot of automation does happen and it's a little hard sometimes to explain why there's so much of it But when we have all the Windows operating systems and flavors and and the number of changes and all of that combined, there's really quite a system uh, to run. I think it was I was looking at at some point, I think we spawned 14,000 new virtual machines. (laughs) It was on a daily basis. Yes, because that was the number that I was looking at. So on one virtual machine, we run quite a number of, of tests still.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And also, unit testing, we don't do TDD. Like I found in the whole organization, because I've been looking, I love that stuff myself, and I would love to see us do more of it but on the whole organization i've seen two people or i found two people who are doing tdd and are proud of tdd doing and now one of my team members is like the latest feature after i had been you know po- uh, talking about this forever uh, he's now doing a a rewrite and he's doing that tdd style mm. so i'm looking forward to discussions on on whether that would be you know more widely applicable so i'm really happy on on people taking that stretch and trying things that they're convinced that they don't want to do so mm-hmm. that happens a lot for us
0: that's great that's really great so um you you mentioned at some point that all the scrum masters uh went away um got fired or, or whatever
1: so there was resizing of the organization and that was one group of uh people that got let go uh pretty much consistently
0: And what did that do to the company? How did that change the company?
1: Uh, On the day when that happened, I wasn't at the company, so that was kind of between my two two cycles of of being there. Mm -hmm. But what I think it mostly did, looking at it kind of like in hindsight and afterwards, is that no one volunteers to officially be in that role. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we nowadays I just found one person who is again an agile coach. Mm -hmm. in in our newer parts of organization who don't maybe bear the the wounds of of remembering this but mostly people don't call themselves agile coaches or scrum masters Mm -hmm. but it's also created this culture where you can expect that anyone uh, or everyone is kind of like a contributor and a coach in one package Mm -hmm. so if you're interested in helping others learn and co and, and and grow uh, you're quite free to do that, so there's no one telling you you have to do it, but there's no one stopping you either.
0: I see. That's great. So the, the even so, not only did the product owner role start to get distributed to the whole team, but the the scrum master coaching role also was uh, distributed at the company
1: and that's a really difficult one kind of like getting that distributed so mm-hmm. when you have senior people then it's usually a little easier but especially when you get new people outside the company who are are very used to having those roles around mm-hmm. they start very quickly looking for the person doing this stuff specifically rather right. than than uh, enabling the whole team to carry that thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah so really uh, excellent stuff there so it's it's it sounds like it's um you know well, I might even say modern agile because it's uh, you have a modern implementation of agility that you're finding uh, works a lot better than maybe the older ways.
1: I would definitely uh, think of it as as uh, something that fits the modern agile principles at least quite nicely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I have the sticker on my board uh, on my desk at office, so right now it's still at the desk mm-hmm. uh, with me uh, not being there. But and I sometimes, yeah, I sometimes show that to people. That whole making people awesome is kind of like my guideline on on how I like to do things. Yeah. And and all the other ones, they also like they really speak of the stuff that man, uh, matters more also to the management side,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: not just for the developers. So I find that there's been a lot of good stuff uh, that I, I have found through kind of uh, identifying with that stuff.
0: I see. Yeah. So. Uh, and have others in the company resonated with it. Then the, these four principles,
1: definitely. I've been sharing articles on on modern agile and kind of like uh, yeah. videos, and and I've been doing presentations on on this was this internally as well. And mm. uh, it seems to be a little easier to to take in than the the uh, agile principles, who nowadays feel a little bit disconnected.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, you know I think anytime we make a f- sort of agile formula or any kind of uh, thing like that it's it's always going to fail to some extent it really is just an adjective you know agile it means you know the ability to move with quick easy grace or this uh having a character that is both quick resourceful and adaptable you know those are things that are universal at that agility and if you can get closer and closer and closer to that and be inspired towards you know living that adjective i think that's amazing um and and as you said earlier through the, the the sort of culture of experimentation you've been trying all kinds of things to make it fit your culture it sounds like you know people don't like to pair program or, or necessarily you know get together in a mob but you've adapted and been resourceful and found ways to leverage other models like the open source model and and you know various things like that so yeah it sounds wonderful i, I I think it's a great example of true agility without a name you know it doesn't have to have a a named framework for it um to be to be effective so
1: when i wrote a blog post about this kind of like the idea that we are doing developer centric uh, software development where we really put the developer and the developer's knowledge in the center i remember uh, one of the ladies in the, the networks sending me a ping saying did you notice what jb rainsberger tw- just uh, shared on linkedin and and he shared my article that was like you know warm my heart he shared my article with the title agile as if you meant it so <laughs> i thought that was a lovely way of kind of like saying that uh, right that what i was describing was something that that he would also recognize as as i'd like to see more of this kind of thing mhm
0: it's really nice i i think um uh, you know product managers might be a little concerned because you know um in your context you know of of building security software um it is a very developer centric thing anyway um in some contexts some other contexts it seems sometimes teams are optimized for delivery, 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 and not enough discovery. Like, what does our customer really want? A lot of people are saying this message. Uh, I just spoke with Ellen Gottensteiner, Gottensteiner, um, and we were talking all about the need of teams to spend more time on, on discovery and not just delivery. Um, so, you know, can you say a little more about that uh, and your thoughts?
1: so generally i frame that around the idea of learning mm-hmm. that you need the actionable learning where it will really matter yeah. but then again uh, that's kind of the most important problem that we have to solve and what the customers really want
2: right.
1: and and when we count them in the millions and we count our partners in thousands yeah. and they are really globally distributed i would be a fool to say that a 12 person team alone does all of this We have the product owner organization who are still kind of trying to understand and bring bits and pieces and participate in in various discussions. We have the support organization who get contacted whenever something isn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And we have the sales organization where they're basically facing the customers every single day. And I think the best thing coming out of this Is the idea that uh, instead of this uh, information from various sources being filtered through the product management back to the team Mm -hmm. it now comes to the team if we need help filtering we know that the product owner organization is is always willing to help us with that but if we don't we can turn it into code right away because if we can do something with those ideas it's really valuable And, and we can always keep them up to date on what we are delivering and what kind of things we have heard so in case they wanted to correct us on the priorities Mm -hmm. they would have a chance of doing that but so far there hasn't been much of a need of correcting us and i think overall in the two years when we've been doing this the collaboration with those people who are really facing the customer and facing kind of all the again we're a fairly large organization nowadays with Again, over a thousand people. So someone needs to talk to all of those people and somehow collect that and keep uh, everyone updated. And a team of 12, especially a DevOps team that does all the the monitoring and and, and support stuff also in that single team of 12 people and runs 300,000 test cases and analyzes all the failures and does features in scale that is unprecedented. Of course, you need the supporting organization around you. So it's more like uh, this whole no product owner is a a way of framing that this work is just way too important to be given to a single person. And rather that single person can just, you know, watch over and look how
0: how things are evolving. Right. Right. Yeah. And you do have an organization devoted to product management. I mean, it sounds like there's a product management organization. You you call it a product owner organization. It's Uh, a
1: product management organization that
0: we have. Yeah. So that that remains a very important activity in in building successful products. And uh, it's just, I think, as you're saying, you don't want it all to go through a single person. Um, Rather, it's much better to distribute the thought of how do we make people awesome with our product? And also, it's really important to get it to the developers
1: language, like they need to understand what the customer's pain and problem was. And if it gets filtered, uh, there's a lot of energy going into re-filtering or like uh, re-addressing the filtering, whether the filter was actually useful or whether it was breaking the the message. So we found uh, that it was a lot easier to trust the source when the source was direct and kind of like shared for all of us Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, than if it was filtered. So there were so many, let's say, scars from past where uh, the filtered information actually didn't produce the right outcome. Yeah. And and we felt we wanted to have our own say into that, and and we wanted to make sure that we could look at the telemetry, and and you know make sure that the users are actually doing the things we are claiming they would do when when given this
0: feature. And is the business happy with uh, the team? So uh, we had. I've I've been kind of using as a measure.
1: Uh, I've been using as a measure this idea that. Uh, When we have organizational changes, do we get to continue the way we were doing things before? And we had one just six months ago. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of discussion on, like, do we now need to have a product owner? It was probably one of the most common discussions back in those days. And we could still continue without a product owner. And the discussion kind of went in the way that uh, they don't really quite always understand what we're doing and how we are so successful in delivering. Mm -hmm. But whatever we are doing, let's not break it. Right. So, I think overall, uh, with that kind of show of trust on having that discussion in the organization, the general uh, relationship has even further improved on, on making sure that they have the information they need, and and kind of then passing us the the
0: relevant contacts rather than the filtered information. Wonderful, wonderful story. Well, I um, I really appreciate um you you know stopping by on the show and and sharing your wisdom and. The amazing things your team is doing I think it's um, it's really cool innovative work and it's it's wonderful for people to become aware of you know alternative ways that that um, that teams are are being agile so um I, I really appreciate you coming um, thanks again and uh, if people want to find your books um, what's the best place for them to go? So if
1: they just Google me by my first name, they okay. find two Maretts. One of them is a sexual therapist. That's not me. And okay. I'm the second one. So okay. just look for Maret, M-A-A-R-E-T. And, and that's the easiest way to find me.
0: Okay. And I'll put some links in the show notes and um, we'll, we'll get some uh, attention to the great work you're doing. I think uh, it's fantastic. You know, you're extremely um, unique in that you're you're looking at many, many aspects of the the team's. The, 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 from the exploratory um, testing to mob testing, no one talks about mob testing. I think you're really leading the charge on on that, and um, you know the the application of you know all these experiments you're doing and the modern agile principles that are you're applying. I think it's it's tremendous work. So thank you, thanks for that, and thanks for coming on the show. And I look forward to you know future uh, the future works you're doing.
1: Thanks. It was great being here. So. I hope this is useful for people and I'm always available on, especially on Twitter, for having a conversation.
0: Yes. So thank you again. If you enjoyed the show, please share with others and subscribe. Thank you for watching.